All right, Winnie, let's test your audio. We like to have chefs name five of something. For you, we're going to have you name five spices or sauces that you use in your barbecue that may not traditionally be used in barbecue cooking. One would be cumin. And I also have my traditional Chinese chashu sauce, which has the fermented bean curd. And I do, I use gochujang in my barbecue sauce as well. And one more I would say would be a black the black vinegar that we use in a lot of Chinese cooking. I love it. You sound good. Let's rock. Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm a chef by trade and hospitality professional. By day, I head up Rachel Ray's culinary operations and co-founded her cooking and kids charity called Yummo. Five years ago, I had the idea to put together a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Hence, the name Beyond the Plate. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or, like the chefs we feature, make a difference in your community. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that... Hey... Let's rock and roll, Cappy. It's ad time, buddy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. If you're like me and you enjoy a good gin and tonic or a Negroni, I've been drinking a good amount of Negronis these days, or maybe you're a martini person, regardless, seeing a bunch of different gin bottles at a bar, restaurant, or a liquor store, it can honestly be a little daunting. Ford's Gin was crafted by bartenders for bartenders and at-home bartenders alike to make a really good gin cocktail. Simon Ford noticed bartenders had various go-to gins for different classic gin cocktails and thought, why not make a gin that bartenders could use that would work perfectly in all these drinks while keeping it at an accessible price? Thank you, Simon Ford. Well, and thank you, Simon Ford, for making a delicious gin, as you say, Cappy. But also a really cool bottle. I know we've talked about this, Cappy. The Really, the first thing you notice when you pick up the gin is the bottle. And I know it was created to be reused. And also the label... It easily peels off, has measurements on it that may be used to create, you know, freezer door martinis, maybe something I partake in. But I'm sure you know more than me because you seem to know all little tidbits about fun facts about this bottle. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I don't think we, you and I have discussed that in detail. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you see, though, there's like etch marks in the bottle yep. with different measurements, which is awesome. And it's funny you see that. A lot of people see it, but, you know, if you're not a big drink guy you may not necessarily notice that but the other cool thing about that bottle simon actually it's it's ergonomically designed so he pulled different bartenders like male female big small big hands small hands all different types of people to see how they hold the bottle i didn't like literally yeah he designed they designed this like special glass bottle and it has like different grip points to help like with the repetitive movements of bartenders. Wow. Yeah. So perfect pour. Totally. Every time. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> I um, love it. It's a really great bottle. I love it. So actually, Ian, furthermore, I'm going to go all in on social impact here because you know we love this about all of our partners and Ford's has an incredible sense of giving back to the bartending community, um, which completely makes sense. But last week's Beyond the Drink guest was Ian Griffiths and Ian happens to be a co-founder of 
Trash Tiki, which I've always been enamored with. And Ford's sponsored Trash Tiki organization's North American Tour, which is really cool. And hear me out. It includes these educational classes for the bartending community. It incorporates a huge anti-waste approach behind the bar and teaches bartenders how to repurpose ingredients like in drinks and syrups and things like that. So they hosted a bunch of consumer-facing events on different nights. Literally, they did this in, I think, over 100 markets. They were on like five continents or something crazy Ooh, Ian was talking love about. It. So I was singing his praises in that episode, but I'm always game to open people's eyes to the world of food waste and how to utilize food waste. So it was cool to see this on the bartending side. If you want to learn more about Ford's Gin, go to FordsGin.com and follow them on social media at Ford's Gin. Please drink responsibly. Ford's London Dry Gin, 45% ABV, Brown Foreman, Louisville, Kentucky. Ford's Gin is a registered trademark. Ford's Gin, we thank you. One more thing, we got some awesome Beyond the Plate merch. You can find a link in your podcast player or go to our website, beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, hoodies, and more. Again, that's beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Enjoy this week's episode. I apologize in advance if this intro makes you hungry. Today's guest is Malaysian-born Chinese and immigrated to Orange County, California when she was five years old. She's a chef, mom, entrepreneur, and most recently the self-taught pit madame and founder of the pandemic-born Smoke Queen Barbecue. She was a finalist on Food Network's Barbecue Brawl Season 3 and was featured on Kelly Clarkson's show. Her barbecue mixes traditional American smoking techniques with flavors of her childhood to create a unique and incredibly delicious style of barbecue, and I'm speaking from personal experience. Each cut of meat she uses is produced with scratch-made family rubs and sauces, defining a new culinary category of Asian American barbecue. These days, you can find her at Smorgasburg, LA, serving dishes like Penang curry with brisket two ways. Yum, my mouth is watering. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Winnie Yi Lakani. Chef, it's good to have you here. And right out of the gates, I'm wondering if you have any pro tips on how you balance a weekly pop-up with opening your first brick and mortar, with attending events, all while being a mom of two kids. Cappy, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And to answer your question, I always fake it till I make it. Right? <laughs> you always have to tell yourself you can do it because when you doubt yourself, you've already failed. And it goes hand in hand to have the right people in your lives to help you attain your goals. My husband's very supportive. Not every husband will brag about their wife being in the male-dominated industry, cooking barbecue. So he helps me a lot around the house. We take turns picking up kids, dropping them off. I also have a really great team behind me. I have managers and staff that are just phenomenal. And honestly, I can't do all the stuff that I do by myself. It's because I have these great individuals who understand the roles and support me in every single way they can. So cool. I love it. And I'm really excited to learn. Like I, I know a little bit about your journey, but I'm really excited to mm -hmm. hear more on how we got here. But full disclosure for the listener, I met Winnie because my wife was doing PR for a really big country music and barbecue festival here in Chicago called Windy City Smokeout, like one of the best in the country. And she happened to see Winnie on Kelly Clarkson one day and she went back to her peers and she was like, we need to have Winnie at this event. And sure enough, you were one of the pit masters that came to the event last year. And my wife and I, when we arrived, like beelined right to your booth and 
I mean, that char siu pork belly with beef tallow fried rice. It was brisket on a milk bun. Honestly, I'm not exaggerating. It was really some of the best barbecue that I had, like all of 2022. I was blown away. All that said, you're kind of new to the barbecue scene. And given what you've accomplished in a couple short years, I want to, like I was saying, I want to learn how you got here. So let's just start from the beginning. Where were you born? (laughs) I was born in Malaysia. I'm considered third generation Malaysian Chinese, meaning, you know, my ethnicity background is full Chinese from both sides of my parents. And my great grandparents immigrated from China. And so my grandparents were born in Malaysia. So I'm technically considered third generation. Although my parents and grandparents speak the native language of Malay, we are in terms of tradition and food, we are very much Chinese. With the exception of food, we do have that influence of that traditional Malay cuisine. And I always say like Malaysian cuisine is like one of the OGs of fusion food because one third of the population is Chinese, one third is indigenous Malays, and then the other third is actually Indian immigrants. So if you like Thai food, you'll love Malaysian food. It's got that umami and that it hits a lot of those notes that Thai food hits, but it's got that Indian influence and that soy sauce influence, I guess. Totally. You moved to the U.S. when you were five. Is that where you grew up? I, I moved straight into Orange County when I was five, did not speak English whatsoever, was in ESL until like junior high, I think. So yeah, I, I grew up as an immigrant. We grew up really poor. My parents had, you know, multiple jobs. I remember my parents like taking gigs where they would go to, remember those car accessory stores where they had like that carpet thing that you put on your dash. Yeah. Like this is in the 80s, right? Sure. So my parents would actually take those cuts of fabric home and actually sew it. And they would get money for every piece that they did. So they would do all sorts of things. And finally, I think when I was in second grade, my dad had purchased a business or somehow got into a retail gift shop and a pizza store. So I would, after school, I would go, I'd go with my mom to the gift shop and then my little brother would go to the pizza store with my dad and then we'd come home and see each other at night. But most of my life was spent working at our family business, whatever it was at that time. I remember we had a toy store at one point and I was probably in fourth grade or fifth grade and my parents were paying me under the table and I would clock in, I would be making like 50 cents an hour. But by the time I was in high school, I was probably the richest kid in my school. I love it. So I I feel like such a big sense of entrepreneurialism, huh? Mm -hmm. With your parents that you probably saw growing up and you were a golfer come high school? Yes, I was. How'd you take to that? Initially, I hated it, but then I learned to really love it because golf has so many parallels to life. It teaches you so many qualities that I have used in my life, like how to be patient. And just thinking like you think the harder you hit the ball, the farther it will go, but it's not true. You've got to have good contact. You've got to have a good swing or great swing. And me being so little, I could hit I could outdrive a guy twice my size. If I have that swing, I have that skill set. And, and if I understand the sport, I can do outdo somebody else that doesn't know it. Like, for example, when you're using an iron, you swing, you think you're like kind of like lifting up the ball. Right. But in fact, you're actually hitting down. 
So things like that. I saw a lot of parallels between what the etiquette that we learned in golf and the rules of golf and just the logic of golf. I, I found a lot of parallels to real life. I love that. How about family dinners? It seems like dad or some of the family was at the pizza restaurant a lot. Did you all have family dinners growing up? So I think back, this is back when I was in second, third grade, but I think right when I was in sixth grade in junior high, we started having dinner together. My mom would always cook traditional Chinese. It's always a broth of some sort, always one to two veggies, and then always one to two proteins. And then we would have white rice. But yeah, this, it was from like, when you have a meal, it's like, it should be family style. I remember when I went, when I go out to a, like American restaurant, right? Because I grew up very immigrant. I wasn't allowed to speak English at home. And we rarely went and had American food outside because we were poor. So I thought it was kind of weird. Like everybody had their own dish and everybody had to order their own plate. And you don't put it in the middle and you don't share. There's no lazy Susan. So it's just a, a slight culture shock in a way because I was so sheltered when I was young. Were you into food like at a young age or... I was always a meat eater and it wasn't until I was really into food when I moved out for college and I really missed home cooking. And what I would do is when I go, I went to UCLA and so I lived in Culver City and then I would come back in the, on the weekends. It's, it would be like an hour to an hour and a half drive depending on traffic. So I would come back to Orange County, go to the Asian market, bring all my ingredients, and I'll ask my mom, like, how did you make this? How did you make that? Because that was my first time being away from home, and it felt very homey to have something that's familiar during the weekdays. Yeah. So barbecue was never a thing. Uh-uh. No. In Malaysian cuisine, I think the closest thing is... So now I realize, like, barbecue, there's two... You can take it in two directions. You can do hot and fast, which is, you know, your traditional grilling, which we have a lot of that in Malaysia and in Chinese cuisine. And then you can do low and slow, which is actually what I've been learning on my own through YouTube and such. And this is like the traditional American style barbecue. So when I learned about the low and slow method, like one day, like a light bulb just went up. Like I basically, it's like the, it's dry braising in a way, so right? So yeah. you take any hard, tough cut of meat, if you're cooking it Chinese way, you braise it, right? But, you know, if you're going to do a barbecue, you braise it with smoke, I guess. <laughs> in a way, it's a dry braise. It's like when you do something and you're trying to figure something out and there's nobody to really tell you, you're just YouTubing it or Googling it. And then all of a sudden, like one day something makes sense and a light bulb just goes up and, oh, okay. Now I can, I see in a different perspective and I understand it a little bit better. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So you were touching upon college. You said UCLA, sorry, you, did you live on campus there or were you commuting? You said. No, I actually lived in an apartment with a couple of roommates. So I didn't live in the dorm. And so we just basically took turns cooking me and my roommates. What do you remember most? Oh, it's hilarious. So, you know, I had an eclectic group of roommates. And so one was a in Japanese, she was a Japanese exchange student. And so when we decided let's be efficient with our time because we have to study, right? So we would take turns cooking. And so when it was her night, she would be making 
a Japanese dish, like a very simple Japanese dish. And then I had a Korean American roommate. And when it was her turn to cook, she basically brought all the food that her mom cooked and put it out on the spread because she doesn't know how to cook. We always joke that that one day she was the one that burned water. She burned <laughs> a pot of water <laughs> and the pot would like, <laughs> how do you burn a pot of water? She right. just burned it. She just ran the flame. And, and then I had another roommate. She's American Taiwanese. And so she would also cook something very simple. But when it was my turn, I had a feast. I had a whole chicken. I would have soup or broth. I would have veggies, you know, some stir fry something, tofu. and everything. It just made me feel at home because there are times where you get really lonely when you're in a new environment, especially in college. It's hard to make friends because there's 200 people in your class. And I wasn't part, I didn't live in a dorm. I didn't have that community. And so, you know, food gave me comfort. What did you study? Economics and accounting. Okay, so wait, am I right? When you were 20 in school, you owned mm -hmm. your own gift shop inside a Holiday Inn? And yep. that business helped pay for your education? How did that happen? At that time, my uncle had an in with these developers who owned a bunch of hotels, like small hotels. And they contracted him to run his gift shops. So they contacted him uh, for the one in La Mirada. And at that time, he was based out of West LA. So he said that was too far for him. He's not interested, but he recommended me. And so I ended up signing the lease at 20 years old. You know, I had my own gift shop. It was like 500 square feet or so. I can't remember how much money I put into it. Maybe five, 10 grand in inventory. That was in 2001. So, and that's the reason why I also commuted on the weekends back to Orange County because I was refilling my store and taking care, doing payroll and going to the bank and doing all that stuff. And then on the weekdays, I would go back to my apartment in Culver City and, you know, go to school. I mean, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. Did it feel like it at the time? It did, but I come from a family of entrepreneurs and I kind of understood that life and making money and not having a student loan was also one of my priorities that I wanted to not graduate with a bunch of loans and I was able to do it with this store. And yeah, I sacrificed my weekends. I didn't go out and party like all my classmates did. Not all the time, but you know. Did you have a plan? Like at that point of her after oh, graduation? So after graduation, I was like wishy-washy and I now understand because I think I have a little ADHD and I've always had it, but now I really understand where I stand with that. But at that time, I wanted to go to grad school. I wanted to be an econ professor. There was some time there where I felt like, oh, you know what? I, I actually love food. I love cooking. I love pastries. I want to go to pastry school. And there was a time where I was really sad because I didn't like what I was learning in school. I didn't like accounting. And then I wanted to be a CPA too. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And it felt weird because I think now everybody will tell you they really don't know what their calling is until later on in life. But at that time, it felt weird to not know exactly what you want to do. Like I'm kind of behind kind of feeling, right? I had ADHD back then too. <laughs> yeah. So what'd you wind up doing? Like what, how did you get into the food 
space. Yeah. So I was running that gift shop and that was ongoing for a couple of years while I was going to school. And then after I graduated, I got a job with Target Corp in management. And I thought I'm going to take a break from school. I thought I wanted to be an econ professor and go back to grad school, but I also wanted to work first because I needed the money. Right. So I worked for a couple of months. I hated it. Oh, and then I went to, I quit that job and I went to pastry school in LA. No, in Cerritos. I moved back to Orange County, tried to save money, and I went to a community college in Cerritos because it was the cheapest option. At that time, I have already spent so much money on my education. I felt that was the best economic way to go. So I went to pastry school for two years to get my certificate. How was that? Boring. Really? You didn't love it? I love pastries. I did not like the program because all they had us do were make cookies and donuts for their cafeteria to sell. Like I wanted to make masterpieces. I want to do sugar flour. I want to do all this other stuff. And all I was taught was the basics and that was it. And then we were basically used as free labor thereafter. You want to know what's crazy? This just popped in my head. When you were in college, I was down the street working in the pastry kitchen at the Four Seasons. No way. Yeah. I was no doing way. my externship from culinary school and a lot of the time I spent in the pastry kitchen under this incredible pastry chef named Donald Russell. And yeah, right right down the road. I would have loved to be in your shoes at that time. How wild. Instead of making <laughs> little cookies and donuts, like the boring <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so you finished pastry school. I actually dropped out because I, I learned as much as I could from that program. And I decided it was not a good use of my time. And at that, that very moment, I was extended a lease at the Hilton Anaheim. So I was more focused on opening that store. And that was a boutique, a women's accessory boutique at that time, because our family has an in with hotel concessions. So my focus was there. And that was where my entrepreneurship really flourished. And from there, in 2008, the owner of the hotel gave me a lease to run the, the food court oh, cool. in that hotel. Is so, that a big hotel? Yeah, there's 1,600 rooms there. And oh, wow. I've, okay. So I've basically been a tenant with them since 2005. And I think because they saw that I was I was very dedicated day in, day out. Like I basically grew up there. I gave this hotel the best years of my life. And in turn, we enjoy a very fruitful partnership. That's cool. So that was in 2009. You essentially become a restaurateur. Is mm -hmm. it, was it like one concept in the hotel or multiple? It was four units and that space was empty for the longest time. It was next to the uh, side doors that went straight into the convention center. And so the owners decided they wanted to do a fast food concept, food court concept, right? And at that time, I didn't really have any food service experience. And so I decided to sign on with a couple franchises. And at that time, there was Baja Fresh, Sabaro, and Submarina. So 2008, 2009 was the build out. 2000, July 2009, I think, was when we first opened for business. And since then, our franchise agreements have ended. So I decided not to extend that. But now I'm running my own concepts within those spaces. Oh, really? Amazing. But it's not chef driven or anything. Sure. Fast food, right? Okay, got it. <laughs> Do you think that all prepared you? I was going to ask if it prepared you for where you are today, but you're still yes. kind of doing that. So you had those, but they franchise agreements ended, pandemic happened. And then when did you 
start those again? So we shut down March 2020 indefinitely. The hotel actually shut down and closed for a year and a half. And we did not reopen until the hotel reopened earlier. But then we decided not to reopen the restaurants until summer of 2021. Because at that time, there were actually not a lot of occupancy. So there was no need for a food court. But yeah, so we've been up and running since the summer of 2021. We've closed a couple times just depending on the occupancy and what conventions are in in-house and whatnot. There, there are seasons in the convention business as well, but I was only able to like rehire 10% of what my staffing was before. Conventions are still not the same. Yeah. So were your parents supportive of you like throughout all of these endeavors? So my dad always says, and he's a very forward thinking, traditional Asian man. He always tells me, do you want to be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond? And he's always telling me as a woman, you need to make your own money. You need to be independent. You can't have, you can't be dependent, financially dependent on somebody else because money is power. Right. So in that way, he's been brainwashing me since I was little that I need to make my own money. I need to be independent. It's good to have a man or husband or partner. But if you don't, you need to be capable yourself. And so he's always been he's always been my cheerleader when it comes to being an entrepreneur, finding my own businesses. He's financially backed me up for a lot of these things. When we did the food court, Honestly, it was really scary because when you put your hard-earned money in there, like shit gets real. And when you have to sign that check to your contractors and there's no customers coming in, you have to really know what you're doing, know what you're getting yourself into because it takes a lot of balls to take that chance. And at that time, I I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, well, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then one day I remember I was like, shit, what if we're not going to make our investment back? I worked so hard for this money. So there's always that that thought in my head that kind of keeps me humble because you can't always think I'm going to open this restaurant. I'm going to open this business. I'm going to make so much money, blah, blah, blah. Nobody can tell the future. But At the same time, I feel a lot, they give me a lot of financial security in that they're always backing me up, both my parents, yeah. Hey everyone, want to take a quick second to give some love to our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. You keep saying friends, they're more like family, at least in my house. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. And Martin's has been setting the gold standard for potato rolls since their famous sandwich potato rolls first hit farmer's markets and later grocery stores. These are the rolls that have helped many chefs and restaurants win top honors and burger contests all over the country, like the burger bash that I just attended at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival in Miami. Oh, and Gabby. Yes, sir. New product alert. Oh, yeah. Two of Martin's potato rolls and bread products are now a little sweeter. Sweet dinner potato rolls and sweet party potato rolls are now available. They're still fluffy, still soft, still delicious, still being eaten at a rapid pace in your house (laughs) by your kids. Still being eaten right out of the bag by my children, correct. Here's a little bit more on Martin's, everybody. Martin's is an all-American family-owned and operated company founded in 1955 and headquartered in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. 
They're the number one potato roll in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. Last year alone, Martins donated nearly 40,000 pounds of bread and rolls to charitable causes. Their mission encompasses more than just baking the best bread and providing good American jobs. They also believe in giving back to their community and the world around them. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To learn more about Martins and check out some great recipes, go to potatoroles.com and follow them on social media at potatoroles. Martins, we thank you. And now back to this week's episode. Okay, so when were you introduced to barbecue? Okay, so we go back 10 years ago. My husband and I, we were shopping one day and we found this ceramic smoker. And we knew about this barbecue, right? This grill, we called it a grill. We knew that it was on sale and it was like, I can't remember how much it was, but these smokers are traditionally very expensive, like a couple hundred bucks. And it was on sale. So we decided, hey, let's just buy it, right? I didn't know anything about fire management. Neither did he. We actually, that night we cooked our first steak and we didn't know like when you burn charcoal, you have to let it burn out, right? And then when we lit up the charcoal (laughs) and there was this huge flame, we put our steak on. So we burned the steak. It tasted like shit. Then we stopped using that grill because we thought it was just a grill. We used, we stopped using it for a couple of years. And then during the pandemic, I think summer 2020, there was like a meat shortage. And at that time I was the one doing the grocery run and I went to Costco and there was a sign says like one piece of each protein. That was like the limit, right? And we would be, I would be buying groceries for two weeks at a time. And I thought I'm just going to find the biggest piece of beef, right? So it would last longer and it happened to be the brisket. So I thought, okay, brisket, barbecue, let me see. I took it home, Googled, YouTube, researched how to smoke a brisket. So I put it on the smoker and it was really bad. I burned it, it was crappy. Then I kept on going back out, searching for brisket, trying to hone down that skill. And honestly, at that time, I was in a very dark place mentally, financially. My kids were Zooming at home. They're driving us nuts. My husband was not working. We had no income. We had very little unemployment benefits. And so you had just shut down. I had shut down in the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And I laid off almost 50 employees that day when I laid everybody off, I had $15,000 worth of food coming in and we had to give that all away. We couldn't return it. So, you know, I was in a very low place in my life and that pursuit of that perfect brisket kept me going. I had something to look forward to. Oh, I get to get out of the house today and I get to go search for a brisket (laughs) and then I get to smoke that, you know, and I just kept on doing that until I had nothing but time on my hands at that time. And one day my friend says, why don't you just post on Instagram or Facebook and why don't you sell it? There's this food group where you're selling like homemade food, right? And so I just posted And I couldn't believe that somebody actually ordered and Venmoed me right away. I was like, oh shit, like I wouldn't give a stranger money for a vague promise that, you know, you would deliver food like at the end of the week. Did you know it was good at that point? I was like, oh yeah, it was good. But now I would tell you is shit. (laughs) Really? Well, how did you fuck up the first one? Was like the heat off? Yes. 
just everything. So I didn't okay. understand heat, fire, whatever. The charcoal was below. I needed something. I needed a diffuser. I realized I needed a lava stone. So I went out and bought one. Then even then, it didn't, it still didn't work out. I needed moisture. So I had a water pan over the lava stone. And that's when my briskets start coming out decent. Nowhere near where they are now, but we all start from somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That's yeah. so wild. So you sell, so someone replies and wants to buy yeah. your brisket. They're like, they're like, oh, I'll take a pound. What's your Venmo? Oh, okay. I have to start, I have to open a Venmo account. And then she would just, this person, and it's so funny. My very first customer, her name was Winnie too. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then, she goes, where should I meet you? I'm like, okay, let's meet at the mall right here. And I would send her a map. And then when, when that day when I got there, I was like, oh shit, Lucille's barbecue's right here. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and it was totally unintentional. That was a time where I saw so much good in people. You know, there's so much hardship and suffering and loss. And it was a very scary time for us. But then I realized like the community, we can lean on our community and we will support one another. I love that. So that first brisket that you sold, mm -hmm. did that have your Asian American barbecue style? Was it a little more traditional barbecue? And I guess follow up, I want you to explain exactly like for everyone listening, like what you're doing with this. We gave some like menu item examples, but like explain what you're doing with this Asian American barbecue style. So like when I started making brisket, I didn't know there was like that Texas rub the Dalmatian rub, the black pepper and the salt. And that was it. I didn't understand that concept. And I was like, let's put some cumin there. I'm Chinese. We got to put some garlic. We have to put some paprika, just jazz it up. And honestly, that's still the rub that I use uh, with a little bit of modification. And I've never been to Texas at that point. So I really didn't know what Texas style barbecue is. I didn't know the difference between Kansas style or South Carolina. I didn't know anything. So in a way that helped me because I was a blank slate and I could just do what I thought would taste good. And that was it. I didn't have to follow the rules. Of course, there's haters that didn't like that, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. I love it. So you're so really you're tying in some of these spices that you're used to from your childhood or growing up as well as sauces like with your yep. I mean, you do a yep. Malaysian satay with homemade sambal. You do some really cool stuff. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. So when I first started Smoke Queen, I tried to emulate what was out there. I didn't post photos of myself. I didn't post photos of my story. Nothing. It was just the food and that was it. And I tried to hide the fact that I'm a female Asian in this industry because I didn't think that I would get more customers like that. I didn't think people wanted that, right? So I was trying to sell what I thought would sell, right? Then I started, remember how I said that the light bulb went off and anything you can braise, you can actually put in the smoker. So I started doing the pork belly with the, was my pork belly chashu. And then one day, one of New York Times food critic, Tejal Rao, she actually anonymously ordered my food, picked it up in the parking lot two weeks in a row. And then all of a sudden, her photographer emails me and says, oh, we need to set up a date. I'm like, what kind of scam is this, right? Did she order from this app you were selling food on? Yeah, I had a, a website. So she ordered on my website, picked it up. Because I don't even know who she was. I didn't know how she looked like. I delivered the food to her two weeks in a row. And then I get contacted by her photographer and editor. And I thought it was a scam. And she loved the chashu. 
So that was like the turning point in my life where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to lean into what I know. Stop pretending like I know Texas style barbecue or whatever. I'm just going to do Winnie style. I'm going to do what I think I want to eat, not what I think customers want to buy. That's where I'm leaning on. And then simultaneously, or then you start doing these backyard barbecues? No, no. So this is when I've already been selling and I've been operating from my house. Got it. Okay. Got you. It's really interesting how you were cooking what you thought people wanted. Then you had that light bulb moment. This was pretty cool. I read you you openly and quite brilliantly said, I'm by no means at the level that I hope one day I will be, but that's the fun part of barbecue. There's always room for improvement. I've never tasted Texas barbecue in Texas, but I love the central Texas barbecue technique. So I pay homage to the craft by putting my own spin to it in my 500 gallon and thousand gallon offset smokers. When do you think you'll be at the level you hope to be? That's the fun part of bar. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> it's not like you're in a kitchen in a controlled environment with fancy buttons and all this like automatic electronic stuff. Like it's not a combi oven, okay? You cannot replicate it all the time, right? When you're smoking, like it's raining, it's humid, it's hot. There's so many variables. Even the wood that you use whether it's seasoned or not, or what species of wood you're using changes your product. And that's the fun part of it. Like, I think you can get to like being 95% consistent, being 95% of what you think it should be. You'll never get to that hundred percent. So it's always a journey and not the destination. Love it so much. Okay. We reached out to friend of the podcast and season five guest, Jet Tila, and he said, Tell Winnie that Sifu is proud of her. (laughs) How does that make you feel? Oh my God. I love Jed. He's just an amazing human being. By the way, Sifu, I always call him Sifu. Sifu means a master when the karate apprentice addresses his, his teacher. He addresses him as Sifu. So I always call him Sifu. Yeah, he's just an amazing human being. He's just, he's a wealth of knowledge. He's taken me under his wing just to, and he's just so like generous with his time, with his advice, with everything. So to say that he's proud of me, I know I I I drove him nuts on the show. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, another cool story with him. I think to how he was discovered doing those cooking classes in his backyard. And someone from the LA Times like happened to be there. It's so wild. Nice, yeah, interesting yeah. parallel. It's funny how like life takes you certain places because for the longest time I was a franchisee and I've always fantasized about creating my own concept and doing my own thing because being a franchisee, you don't get to have that creativity, right? And then it just, it took the pandemic and the closures and all that for me to create Smoke Queen. And I'm where I wanted to be like 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I wanted to have my own concept and do my own thing, but I didn't know how. When the time is right, things, planets align, things come into place. Okay, so also in an Instagram post thanking Jet, you also said, the entire season, you have yet to win a single challenge, but today we win both. I know sometimes they make you so stressed with my procrastination and my overachieving disorder and perhaps a little ADD too. Yeah, I guess you could say you're pretty new to the TV world. Do you like that? Do you like the competition side? Every single competition, whether I do, whether I think it's a failure or a success, makes me a better chef. 
I learn something with every single competition and I am stronger for that. So I think really it doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's what you get out of it. But I never thought in a billion years I would be on Food Network because as a kid, I, I would watch TV, I would watch Alton Brown's uh, Good Eats. And when I had the time, I would binge on it because I loved Food Network and I loved all the programs on there. And to think that I'm actually on there, it's kind of crazy. That's wild. Jet, he also said, what's interesting about you is how you balance being an entrepreneur, a chef and a mom, which we spoke about that a little bit at the start. But I would love to know, how would your husband and your kids describe you? They would describe me as relentless, hardworking, and passionate. Because honestly, like I really love what I do being an entrepreneur. Like I have my staff to thank for. Like I just, I can't imagine myself in an office job, just sitting there all day long. It's just not me. And I like to do things. If it was me that did the payroll, if it was me that did the P&Ls and entered all this bookkeeping, it would never be done. Because I like to be in the kitchen. I like to be on the floor. So I didn't mention it, but my brother is my business partner and he's the complete opposite of me. His personality, everything. And he likes to do all that stuff. So That's perfect. My employees love him because he pays them on time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Do you ever, I guess you mentioned like coming into this space of, let's be honest, like a male dominated world of your pit master. Do you ever feel intimidated anymore? Or oh, like yeah. You, yeah. How do you All overcome that? Okay. So these guys, my peers, I guess, they're always bigger than me. They're always taller. I'm tiny. I'm 5'2", right? And the, my smokers are huge. But honestly, the, whenever I feel intimidated, I just tell myself, they didn't push a baby out of their bodies with yeah. no <laughs> epidural, okay? Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I got this because I did that already and they can never do that. So Oh God, you're so right. <laughs> you are so right. It's always mind over matter. You just got to control your mind and your perspective. I love it. Okay, back to your procrastination and overachieving disorder because you didn't think we were going to let you get away that easy, did you? <laughs> How do either no. of those promote or inhibit progress? So procrastination is a bad habit of mine, and I know it. And on Barbecue Brawl, Jet would be like, okay, it's time for plating. I'm like, no, I'm not done. Like, I still have time. I still have time. And I would always not have time. So I need to nip that in the butt. But overachieving, I think, comes from the fact that I saw how much my parents had struggled and gave up for us to grow up in this country. Because in Malaysia, we are not first-class citizens. The Chinese are not considered first-class. It's a Muslim country and we're not Muslim. And so they gave up a lot because my dad had a comfortable life. He, drove, he would always say he had a Mercedes back in the 80s and that was a big thing. And he had to give all of that up and to think like, you know, my mom also had to give up her family. She didn't see her family for many years just so that we could grow up here. So I've been so blessed with so many opportunities in this country, being female, Asian, minority, that if I don't take advantage of it, and then I would be like doing a disservice to my parents. And so that's why I always strive to overachieve. I always want to overdo, you know, and it's just 
it's just ingrained in me. And it goes back to that ADHD. I want to do more than I need to. So speaking of progress, fill us in on the status of brick and mortar. So the brick and mortar, I am working on getting the permits still. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of confusion as to what my smoker looks like, how it supposed to work because there's not a lot here in California. And so this is the first time most of these city officials and health officials are looking at this thing like, how does it work? Do you put charcoal in, you know, they don't understand that the offset is offset and that's where you put the wood in or they would ask me questions like so do you put the charcoal in the middle or no it's not a grill it's a smoker so I'm hoping to start construction within the next month or so pop-up life is hard I need a brick and mortar where everything's in one place and I'm gonna get really creative because I design a full-blown kitchen with all the equipment we're gonna do a lot of fusion stuff and hopefully have a lot of tasting menus and so forth. Is it going to be sit down? It's going to be a fast casual service, fast casual service, but there's going to be, it's so I don't know if you know this whole development. It's a clusters of old dilapidated homes in Garden Grove. And yeah, so my landlord, she actually purchased 12 or 15 homes and there's where I'm at is going to be called a farmhouse. So I'm basically going to occupy one of those houses and the fencing have been already removed in that square block. And so the backyard, the side yard of these homes are going to be like the common area. And each home will have a business in there, different types of business. One is going to be boba guys. One's going to be a brewery called Gamecraft Brewing. One will be, a, I think, vegan Thai food and one will be vegan burgers. And then next, and then one of the parcels is actually a community garden, which I love because I mean, like farm to table, it just brings everything together. Like the whole reason for barbecue is to bring people in and have them feel at home, right? So our kitchen, our restaurant is actually a 70-year-old craftsman home and we're going to have the smokers outside. So it would be like you guys coming over to my house and enjoying barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. It would be called Smoke Queen? Yeah. So Uh our restaurant will be called Smoke Queen. The development is called Cottage Industries. So that's one cluster of homes. There's another cluster of homes that will be kind of bed and breakfast concept. So it's very like community focused. You know, I should have known better. Here I thought you're doing smorgasburg once a week and working on getting this brick and mortar up and running. And of course, as I do more research. I'm like, nope, mom and other events. And now learning that you're still running these four concepts at the hotel too, in between all of this. Two are are not open right now. I'm I'm trying to reopen the third one end of this month or beginning of next month. And did you ever consider putting like Smoke Queen as one of those or just did it not make sense? No, No, it won't be magical. It's who wants to go to the convention center and buy barbecue? (laughs) (laughs) No, I've said this before. I did not have to escalate Smoke Queen into a brick and mortar because I have other things going on. And in fact, pre-pandemic, I signed a development deal with Bruxy Chicken and Waffles, which is a franchise. And so I had a lot of things in the works already pre-pandemic and I didn't have to escalate Smoke Queen unless it was the perfect time, perfect place, perfect landlord. So 
it was the universe telling me I cannot stop. I need to push forward because I found this location. I found, I met the landlord. I love her. She's so empowering and she's a workaholic like me. <laughs> so we see eye to eye on a lot of things and I, I just love working with her. So where do you smoke for smorgasburg? Do you do it there or do you? No, no, we you can't. No, a, we, okay, I yeah, I have to rent a commissary in Orange County and that's where we smoke out of. Got it. And how did that come about? Did you reach out to them or did Zach hunt you down? Oh, Smorgasburg, I actually, I applied and he came, he tested my food and he, I was like, oh, here's he my brisket. Here's my, he said, I don't want fucking brisket. I'm tired of brisket. <laughs> 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 Instead he had the other things like the Asian stuff, you know, he's honorary Asian. <laughs> totally. Zach's a good dude. Yeah. He's doing something that's really amazing in Smorgasburg because honestly, it's hard to be a pop-up. It's hard to find a place that would accept you to let you pop up. And, you know, to have a venue like this, to have a curated list of vendors that is of a certain caliber that would attract a certain type of customers is just so priceless for incubating business like me. Yeah, totally. That's cool. Okay, Crystal Ball, if I click on the Smoke Queen website like five years from now, where are you? Like, what's the plan? Am I seeing like a locations tab or a TV tab or a books tab? Or? Those would be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I could keep going. Um, products so, tab. You know. Okay, products. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I, honestly, I really want it. I want to break the, the barbecue sauce market, but I know it's really hard. I know it takes a lot of money. I've looked into it. It's just a whole other business, but it would be amazing if I could have all these Asian style barbecue sauces because I see Smoke Queen as a gateway food into Asian food. I had this one customer who follows me. He flew in from Texas and he texted me. He's like, hey, are you still at Smorgasburg? And what do you have left? Because I just got in town. And I said, yeah, come, I'll save you something. And he came and he's like, oh man, you're at that gochujang sauce was so good. How'd you make it? How, like, where did you think, how did you like come up with it? I was like, I don't know. I just tasted and I just did recipe. But the thing is, I'm familiar with these ingredients. So he's a regular old white man. He's, he knows what he likes. He knows good food, but he's not familiar with the ingredients. Like if he walked into an Asian market, like where do you start? How do you start and how do you formulate a barbecue sauce from these ingredients? So it would be nice if I had my own line of sauces. I love that. All right. What do you want to switch gears to social impact and giving back? Because I think, as you know, our podcast celebrates social impact with all of our guests and learning how they all do it. Um, is what keeps us all inspired. So all different types of chefs have all different causes or organizations that they align themselves with or give back to. But I wanted to give you know you a chance to talk about any causes or charities that you may do work with. Yeah. So most recently, I've been working with Ocapica. That stands for Orange County Asian and Pacific Islander Community Alliance. They're a really great organization. They're local and they help 
anybody and everybody, not just Asian and Pacific Islanders, but anybody who's in need. They help with basic things like a lot of us Asians, we don't know how to apply for social help, right? We don't know how to, some of them don't know how to register to vote. So they actually do a lot of that. They also give back to the communities who need mental assistance. Mental illness is something that's not talked about in Asian communities. And it's really important that they actually help those who need help through their hard times when it comes to mental illness. Once a year, Okapika puts out an event and it's all, you know, the chefs donate their time, money, labor, and food. And it's a food event. It's called Tastemakers of Orange County. And I think this past year, we brought in a couple hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So it's something that's really dear to my heart. And I think, you know, I'm in the position where I can give back and I can inspire, especially being Asian female in a male dominated industry. And so it's something that feels good. When you're a philanthropist, it's not just helping somebody else, but you get a benefit of feeling good after helping somebody. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I couldn't agree more. I always say it's like to anybody listening, and I've said this a hundred times and I'll keep saying it, give what you can. Sometimes it's your voice or your dollars or your time and giving $1 can make a difference. You don't have to write a check for a thousand or $10,000. You could have 200 followers on Twitter and post something and make a difference for someone. You don't need to have, you know, thousands of followers for someone to see a message and be inspired. So thank you for doing all you do and using your voice and your time. And we'll link to that organization on our website and in the episode notes of this episode. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Let's do a quick, yeah, let's do a quick speed round and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Number one, what did you have for dinner last night? I had lemongrass, chicken, rice, white rice, and stir-fried veggies. (laughs) Very basic. (laughs) Name a smell in the kitchen you love. Fresh bread. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Garbage. (laughs) (laughs) What pisses you off in the kitchen? You know what? When people don't clean up after themselves, they don't clean their station, that's really annoying. What makes you happy in the kitchen? When a dish that you've been working so hard to it comes out like perfect. What was that last dish that made you happy? The last dish that made me happy was the Penang curry I made on Sunday for Smorgasburg. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. All right. In closing here, you touched on this a little bit with your personal journey, but perhaps if there's an additional message, something to add, what message do you have for young girls who love to cook and may not think that they fit into mold. I would tell them, follow their heart and do what makes them happy. Because me growing up in Chinese community, like we are always thinking what other people will think. Oh, if Winnie drops out of school, what will people think? If Winnie didn't actually finish her degree or she didn't do this or she found a boyfriend that's not Asian, that's not Chinese, what would people think? And I, I grew up in that and I didn't have a role model like I am to whoever right now. But if I want to tell these girls, don't worry about the noise, do what makes you happy and do what inspires you. I love it. Awesome. Winnie, thank you for your time in between 
the hundred things that you're juggling every day. Mm -hmm. Um, We Mm -hmm. appreciate it. I'm so glad that I got to try your food when you were here in Chicago this past, what was it, July or August. I hope to be in LA on one of these Saturdays or Sundays. When's Morgansburg? Sundays. 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 I hope to be in LA on one of these Sundays soon. Keep kicking ass. I'm super excited to keep an eye on the the brick and mortar location. And you're really a joy to talk to and just hearing your frame of mind and how you approach things is it's inspiring for me. And I think it's going to be really inspiring for a ton of people listening to this. So thank you for your time, Cappy. I really appreciate you and you know, all you do. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again to Chef Winnie Yi Lakani. Find her on Instagram at Smoke Queen Barbecue. That's S-M-O-K-E. Q-U-E-E-N-B-B-Q or at SmokeQueenBBQ.com. To learn more about Ocapica, the Orange County Asian and Pacific Islander Community Alliance, go to www.ocapica.org. That's O-C-A-P-I-C-A dot org. We'll share a link to those websites in the episode notes and at beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan Mead. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. And as always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. If you do have a moment, we'd love and appreciate it if you could rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gym. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.